0: You're listening to the KB Podcast Network.
1: <laughs> this is the Next Level Podcast, a place for business leaders, entrepreneurs, and dreamers to be empowered for an abundant kingdom life. Here's your host,
2: Michael McIntyre. Welcome, everybody. This is Michael McIntyre, your humble host of the Next Level Podcast. And man, it's a great day today. Thank you, God. It's a wonderful day. Listen, I've got an amazing person here that we're going to interview. And I wanted to give you a little background on Brock and Brock Shining is a, is a friend I've known him for, I think going on about six, seven years. Uh, but I want to tell you a little bit background by this guy, cause he's truly amazing. And some of you might know him, especially out there in the CCM world. So, uh, Brock is a thought leader, a consultant and a lawyer. That's right. I said it. He's a lawyer (laughs) and he's an amazing lawyer. He's not like one you've ever met. Brock was individually sought out by a billion dollar energy conglomerate to represent them in a highly valuable dispute. He was a solo attorney with limited experience, but with his extraordinary and just sheer determination and his unique reputation in business and in talent, he went and did a great job in this situation. Brock represents most of the largest, fastest growing churches in America. His client list is literally a who's who of spiritual leaders. I know some of them, but I won't say. Uh, Ministry organizations, churches, worship leaders, and songwriters and Christian business leaders brock has also been a personal business strategist to globally recognized social media influencers his business expertise has been recognized by fox cbs nbc and abc news sources he also a commercially published songwriter <laughs> racking up over recordings by grammy nominated and emmy award winner John Tesh and others it's amazing I mean I stumbled through that a little bit Brock because it's so impressive I couldn't
0: hardly get it out welcome to the next level podcast buddy how you doing I'm good Michael I'm good thanks so much and it makes me cringe to hear I don't like hearing that kind of stuff about myself but I'm so happy to hear you know be here and I'm so happy to hear your voice and just be a part of this conversation
2: well, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking. I know you're a busy man. I mean, you've got so many things going on. I see your uh, your website, your Facebook post, your Instagram, and and all that you're doing out there in His Kingdom and Kingdom business is just quite amazing. So, yeah. I I just want to let her. Uh, listeners know how we actually met for the first time. Uh, I think it was about six years ago and we were, uh, I was at upper room and I was uh, helping out with them and in a, in a CEO capacity slash executive pastor, if you will. And uh, we were looking to start a record label, right? Yeah. And I remember, I believe a good friend of ours, Heath flock introduced us together. I think, isn't that the case? Okay. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and so you flew in, and you wanted this huge, big retainer, which I griped about. Because <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it wasn't that bad. It was just the art of the deal. You know, it's the way I am. But uh, I remember you flew in, and you and Jerry Nicewinder came in and spent – you spent about seven, eight hours with me and the leadership there in, in our conference room at Upper Room and painstakingly went through the whole process of creating a record label. And I remember I must have asked you about 40 40- Questions were all the same, and they were probably <laughs> the most stupid questions you've ever heard. But you acted like they were brilliant, and I'll never forget that. <laughs> you were so sweet and so kind. But what's always fascinated me about yourself, Brock, is you're you're so humble. Mm-hmm. And I know you work with some of these huge, huge churches and some of the most popular names out there in the CCM market. And you, how did you end up getting in with the worship community in this space?
0: It's probably a multi-part um, answer because it was definitely not something I ever planned. I mean, I, I've, I've said this many times, but I grew up in the church. You know, my dad was a pastor and mom was a worship leader and grandparents had a traveling quartet ministry. So I was around church and worship ministry, you know, my whole life. Um, but I was actually on my way to becoming a clinical psychologist. And I was, I'd finished my undergrad. I was in a grad school, at a master's, PhD program, you know, towards clinical psychology and just circumstance happened in my life. And I really felt like God said, I want you to pull back from all of that. And I'm going to lead you on your next steps. And I was like, God, wherever that is, I'll do it. And at the time I was going to Anaheim Vineyard. Um, so this was in the nineties. This was the early nineties. John Wimber was still alive and mm-hmm. you know, just all kinds of wild stuff happening at the Anaheim Vineyard. But long story short, because it's, it's a, just a woven tale, like how God me, got me there. But I ended up getting a job at Vineyard Music, and I was like the lowest job in the entire company. <laughs> like I, I collected receipts. I'd be knocking on your door. Michael, you got your receipts. We got to put them in the books. You know, <laughs> I'd give them to somebody more important, but I would carry them, you know, out of the office and in a bag down the hall and gather them. Um, but it was weird, you know. I'm working there, nobody knows me. And uh, just like I said, like literally the lowest in the, in the company. And Chris Wimber was running the company at the time. And he came into the office that I shared with a bunch of the accounting guys and one day and he said, Hey, I really feel like there's something on you and I want to train you to take over all of our publishing and licensing. And I'm like, Who is this guy? <laughs> Cause he clearly doesn't know me. I have zero experience, you know, blah, blah, blah but he ended up doing that and training me and sent me all over the country to get trained by, you know, the, the founders of CCLI and music services and he sent me to all these labels. And so I got to meet every, you know, everybody that was in the worship industry at the time, you know, I met them and they were training me and sewing into me and I'm this nobody that no one knows and zero experience. And they're just sewing into me. So I would say fast forwarding from that, that a lot of the relationships that were forged in worship kind of originated during the nineties of people that I met and people that I'd worked with and talked to. And, you know, uh, so it, it's just weird how God kind of weaves your tale, right? Your personal mm-hmm. story. And you never are necessarily understanding where pieces of it are going, but then you look back and you're like, man, I could trace all of these relationships back to, basically the early 90s and the the people that God put in my life that I never I mean I never wanted to be a lawyer and (laughs) you know God told me during you know working at Vineyard Music I want you to go to law school and I I went at night so it's like all these pieces at the end of the day you know this is how God is you just you're like God show me the way and then you know 10 years later you look back and you're like wow I never could have orchestrated that right
2: right, yeah, well, I love that, so you got your really your your roots at the vineyard, and you that kind of blossomed into other things, and so so all right, so you go to law school, you get your, yeah. you, you get your juris doctorate, you pass the bar. Congratulations. Yep. All right. Thank you. And i and so, which is a big feat in itself. And so,
0: California, <laughs> yeah,
2: Amen. I get it. I get it. I know it's the, you know, it's a whole different world out there. So what, uh, I know you can't devolve James, but you know, how did you finally, what did you started negotiating for artists? Did you sign labels? Did you create labels? What did you do to get into that, you know, to that, that genre and to start working with artists?
0: I think it was, so I was clerking, you know, obviously during law school, I was clerking at different, you know, with different lawyers, with different organizations. I knew I didn't want to do like criminal law or family law, but I wasn't sure what I did want to do. If that makes Mm -hmm. sense, you know, you can kind of go any direction. Um, So I was just clerking all kinds, you know, I clerked for a personal injury firm. I clerked for uh, a, a ministry, just a lot of different, different clerk jobs. Um, so as I was finishing up law school, I was working for a couple of different firms and just getting experience. And, and after I passed the bar, I just really felt like God kept saying, I want you to start your own practice. And I'm like, I don't like, I don't have money. I don't I, In fact, I have a lot of debt. <laughs> <laughs> like I right. don't know people, I'm not a hobnobber. I hate going to like you know, all my friends are going to all these bar events, you know, not, uh, not drinking bars, state bar, you know, like <laughs> right. hang out yeah. with other lawyers and judges and all that. And I hate that. I'm like, I don't mm. want to be anywhere near that. And I just felt like God really softly speaking to me. I want you to start your practice. And again, it's like circumstances just kind of always <laughs> pave the way when you submit to God, even if you don't know what you're doing. And so I started my practice with no clients, literally no clients. I just kind of hung a shingle, got, I I rented a space. It was funny because I was literally in in an old uh, mail closet in a high rise. And, you know, all my friends that started practices were, you know, spending thousands and thousands of dollars on rent and, you know, really nice offices. And I was in a, in this closet and and I didn't care. Like, (laughs) I don't care. I got my practice. But I think that my first music client was Vineyard Music, ironically. Okay. And I think it was because they, you know, my background. I I knew everybody. I knew the Vineyard movement well because my dad was a pastor of the Vineyard um, in in where I grew up. So I knew the Vineyard movement. I knew Vineyard worship. By that point, I had written some Vineyard worship songs. So I think it was kind of a natural, like, well, hey, you're a lawyer now, you know. And from there, like you said, just kind of blossom. And God, you know, just started bringing. And and I started managing some artists too, which. I realized, you know, I didn't really like managing um, because of some of the nuances of management, but I mm-hmm. but I met a lot more people that way. So it was kind of blossomed from there, I'd say.
2: That's really cool. I love that. And since then, you've really, you know, like I know some of the big churches you've worked with and stuff, which is really amazing. What do you, in from your perspective, uh, what do you think this, the, the the status of today's quote unquote church, so to speak. Uh, you know, I know there's some churches that, you know, they they have ebbs and flows and some of them all of a sudden blow up and they've got, you know, their mega church, you know, and then some of them yeah. never get off the ground or never, you know, get to that status. They can't get past 220 members. And and right. sometimes it's leadership. Sometimes it's, it's just the location. And sometimes it's God, right. The breeze, yeah. on a, a cer- yeah. certain place. I mean, there's some, you know, uh, if you look at you know different places around the world, around especially in the United States, uh, California, Illinois, Texas, there's some huge churches. But what do you yeah. feel that right now that the church is going through or dealing with, uh, it, and not just with the COVID nineteen, but in in general of where we're going because it seems like you know i i listen to chris Valentin a lot you know and i yeah, I, like, yeah. I like chris you Love know and, chris. <laughs> and you know he talks about mega churches and how you know he was telling me that you know even in a huge mega church in that city generally the crime rate's still high higher than other yeah. places and because everybody's staying in the same flock they're not going out and so yeah from from your perspective brock what do you see the church biggest things that they need maybe to look at or that they're doing good or maybe that they're not doing so good.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, I definitely have an answer for that. Although it's, it's obviously my opinion. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. I think what I've seen, and and this is coming from somebody who spent their entire life in the church, right? I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't like a heroin addict, you know, in my 20s and then came to the Lord. I, I literally <laughs> right. grew up like every other pastor's kid with all right. of those, you know, aspects of it. But I say this with a heart, like really soft heart towards the church. I love the church, but I think what I see is that it really does feel, I don't, I don't think it's um, – I don't, I don't think it's puffery to say the church has really lost its potency mm. in the way that it attracts people, um, where, you know, I know Reinhard Bonnke, I, I, you know, met him a couple of times. I loved his heart. And I remember the first time I didn't know who he was, you know, uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I didn't even know who he was. And I remember, mm. actually, I think it was Jerry wanted first mentioned him to me, um, and I remember seeing a picture of him preaching to whatever, two million people, these <laughs> right. loud speakers right out in the middle. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, can you imagine like God using somebody and there's no there's no pomp and circumstance, right? Yeah. There's no like jumpy house. There's no like cupcakes and, and you know, frappes <laughs> when you walk in. And no, no, you know, I'm not trying to, to hit churches that do that, because, again, I have a very soft heart for the church. I love the church. But I do think what happens is that, you know, when you think about the lost and broken, they need Jesus. They don't Come need on. good coffee, right? They don't need um, right. dumpy houses. And and yeah, you know, I'm a parent. I have kids, and I I've been in churches where I'm like, I wouldn't want to leave my kids in with your whoever's watching them. Like I don't trust. <laughs> right. I don't trust your crew, right? Yeah. And so I love a church that has like security, you know, like especially for the kids. You know, I'm like, man, they have high security. Like, I I love this. I feel like my kids are safe. But it's interesting because then you know you peel back and you're like, but I don't like that they have jumpy houses and you know like water, mm. bl- like you know I'm not saying not to have fun, but you you get my point. Like,
2: yeah, absolutely. I
0: grew. Right, it's like I grew up in a time where church was really simple. Now, granted, I grew up in a really small church in a very, very isolated desert town out in the middle of the desert, in, Bar- in a, a town called Barstow. So my experience was very, very
1: different. But
0: <laughs> the point is, is like I think the church, and and the reason why I brought uh, brought up Reinhard Bonnke is because he said something to the effect of, you know, the the more you know, like cakes and coffee you have, the less of the Holy Spirit or, you know, the the mm-hmm. less Holy Spirit you have, the more you need cake, cake and coffee. And I just think about that. And I'm like, the church lost its way in trying to get people in the door so much. And it's so good at it. I'm going to tell you a little secret, Michael. I'm sorry to yeah. pause, But I was talking to a guy who's kind of high up working with unions. And he's like, we were just having a conversation one day. And he's like, you know, unions are actually copying the church. Like union meetings are copying how effective the church as is at getting people in the door
1: hmm. to like
0: buy into the system, and I heard that, and I was so grossed out hearing that, and and I maybe I shouldn't have been. I'm like, wow, you know, churches are good to get people in the door. It's awesome. What do we do once they're there? <laughs> like, are they getting healed? Are they finding right. Jesus? You know, we're great at bringing them in the door. So I I, I know it's really long winded, but I really feel like a lot of a lot of personal investment in that question of like, man, I think the church needs to return to Jesus. I think it needs to return to the simplicity of worship and the word, the power of the Holy spirit showing up and be less about, you know, and I, and I honestly, you know, you're like not just COVID, but you know, COVID maybe highlighted this whole thing. Like what is the church when we don't have the building? What is the church when we don't have that big thermometer that shows how many people have given money to the new fountain or the new kids club, you know, or whatever. And instead, it's like, we just need to meet people with Jesus and they're in their homes or they're maybe don't even have homes. Like, what are we doing to meet that need? So that's, that's those great. Are my thoughts rumbling around in my head. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I love that.
2: I, I, you know, uh, it's getting back to the basics. I think it's very important. I think that's one thing that during COVID, I mean, you know, I know the sports world has gone bonkers, you know, because the NBA got canceled, you know, people are, and and Major League Baseball. Heck, I found myself for the first time ever watching NASCAR. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Boy, <you drifted. laughs> oh, I did, man. But, but it, it's true. I mean, sometimes we get these idols and we think, okay, how do we make this better mousetrap, if you will, in business, we know we want to make a better mousetrap, right? We want to bring in sure. clients, you know, and a church wants to bring in people, but all right. So we've got to have the great coffee. We've got to have the, the hipster pastor. We got to have the, you know, the cool band that's, you know, that's really great. And, and I get all that too. I do because yeah. I was, I was in it, you know, I remember creating the label, the record label for upper room, you know, and, but I do think sometimes we start looking at the shiny object way too much. You know, yeah. and I think yeah. your point is really good. I think, you know, it's, it's like Ryan Hart Bunke, just preach the gospel, man, bring, bring people, let Jesus be known and, yeah. you know, and about the grace and about being with Jesus and being in his, in his presence. You know, I know yeah. uh, I I posted something one time on my Instagram. If you're going to the church for the culture, you're going for the wrong reason. Mm, yeah. And, and I got a lot of blowback. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> of course. <you> did.
0: <laughs> but I like but, that. Come yeah. on. It, but, it, you're right. And you get blowback for it. But, you know, when you're talking about upper room, and, you know, obviously, as, as an attorney, I have the highest level of confidentiality. But culturally, I'll say this because this is a very public, you know, publicly perceived, um, you know, I'm saying the same word to define it, but publicly perceived <laughs> perception of upper room. You know, part of what I saw was a church that just wanted to go after God. And, yeah. and, and capture it and then do it honorably, you know, do it with integrity and do it in a way that, you know, made sense to the inside and outside world. And so when I, you know, when we connected and I spent time with you guys there, I was like, man, I love it when I get to work with a church that hasn't lost that, They, you know, in other words. You guys weren't like, hey, Brock, do we need more like smoke and lights? Or
1: (laughs) you were like, hey,
0: how do we have integrity? Do we even need contracts? But we want to capture what God's doing. Yeah. And I could tell you, I mean, I I won't, but I can name names of all the ministries that have approached me that way and said, we just want Jesus. We want to capture what he's doing here, but we want to do it ethically, legally, morally, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I love that. As opposed to, and this is no joke, I get the churches that are like, and, you know, do we, like, is it, does it make sense if the jeans are tighter or whatever? (laughs) I'm like, oh, Lord, help me.
2: Right, (laughs) right. Uh, All right. So I want to shift a little bit because, man, you are a diverse cat. You really are. I mean, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, there's not too many attorneys out there that write music. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, And, you know. And, it, you know, you had this, you had the songwriter deal with John Tesh. How did that come about?
0: That was, uh, it's funny because I like my claim to fame is John Tesh. Um, <laughs> it, it was actually, I'd written, I'd, I'd gotten through a period where I was just writing worship songs, really just my heart, like sharing with God, like I, I want to worship you. Here's what I want to put on paper and didn't really think anything of turning it into something, you know, at all just really wanted to play the guitar and worship Jesus and wanted to put my own words on paper doing it. But because I was working at Vineyard Music and I know there was a time period where it was like, we're looking for new worship songs and so many songs were coming in. You know, if you go into church today, you could spend a year there and maybe learn three or four new songs. You know, man, if it's a crazy church, right? maybe do 12 different songs for the year. But this is no joke. And I think anybody in the Vineyard movement would tell you, you know, during during the 90s, it was possible that you were doing uh, like six new songs a week because
1: Crazy. we would
0: worship for hours. Like yeah. we worshiping, you know, two and a half songs, you know, break, like it wasn't like that. It was like sometimes, you know, the pastor, whether it's John or, you know, wherever you were at the vineyard, it'd be like, you know what? I think tonight we're just going to worship all night and you're <laughs> right. going to church like, Three times on Sunday because not because you have to, because you want to, you just want to be in God's presence. Come on. And there are a lot of churches that that are experiencing that right now, but I mean, that's like what I grew up in. So I say that because, you know, there's so much opportunity for songs to circulate that I just took a load of them and said, God, you know, what do you want me to do with these? And I had, I was really good friends with Scott Underwood, who was a worship leader at the time, songwriter, and he, you know, we're good friends and he could play really well. I couldn't play guitar very well at all or sing very well. But Scott's like, hey, man, let me hear some of your stuff and maybe I can, you know, lay down a couple of tracks for you. So he did. And then we uh, put a couple of those in an envelope on a cassette tape and, you know, I kind of walked through the normal song submission thing with Vineyard. And anyways, um, one of the songs got picked up and then got, and then Vineyard recorded it. And I guess John Tesh heard it on that recording and said, mm. Yeah, I want to put this on my album. So he covered it.
2: Nice. Thank you, yeah. Jesus.
0: <laughs> that was <that's laughs> yeah.
2: awesome.
1: Those
0: yeah. 20 cent, uh, royalties make a difference.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. It puts you into that next tax bracket every time, right? Oh, yeah. It's well, not crazy. Really, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you, how often do you sit down and write music? I know there's we have you know this this next level podcast goes out to a lot of people and you know we're getting yeah. it, you know people in, uh, that write songs and you know in all kinds of different communities. So it, from from my perspective and looking at it, it, to me the money. If I'm going to look at this because I'm a business guy, right? I like to sure. look at the bottom yeah. line, right? I love to worship Jesus, I love to glorify God, but I also like to bless people with money. And yeah. you know if you can't <laughs> right. if you can't help people out, what you know that's not cool either so but but songwriting if you if you're a good songwriter uh and somebody picks you up jeremy riddle stephanie gretzinger you know whoever you know uh picks you up that that's really a good financial thing yes
0: it can be i mean it can be it doesn't uh, it certainly can be but it's not always it's not always how it works out and part of it is just because the dynamics of where the money's at. And, you know, if there's traction in the churches with your songs. Mm. so you might have, like, I've, I've heard some songs that I'm like, they just brought me to tears, brought me to my knees. They're moving. They're powerful lyrically. They're, they're just awesome. Right. And you know, just, they just don't take for whatever reason. And, right. you know, if you assume that if somebody like Jeremy Riddle um, or Stephanie records your song, you're like, Oh, of course, you know, but, but sometimes yes. And sometimes no. I mean, and that's mm-hmm. the reason why, you know, CCLI has, you know, these rankings, because if, if it was that easy, you know, every time Jeremy picks up his guitar and sings, you know, True. you have a number one hit. Right. But he doesn't. And in part because different people are, you know, bringing different sounds. And now, you know, when, I, when I think about, uh, you know, music in the nineties, worship, especially, there wasn't a lot of ways outside of, if you're a worship leader, you're singing in your local church, right? Right. Like, if you couldn't get a record deal or a songwriter deal, you had real, you like you had no way to get your songs out there, but now you do. And you know, it's, it's like, it's this weird mix of commercial opportunity and technological opportunity that really anybody can write a hit song and get it to the public. But again, if it was that easy, everybody'd be doing it. So, Amen. I, I think it's tougher than people realize. And you know, writing a song that you know—I remember because I grew up with very, very simple songs. Right? It's like three chords. You could play every vineyard. It was a big joke in the vineyard. Like you could play every vineyard <laughs> song with what, like G G D C or E minor. Like, like you know what I'm saying? Like there's right. two, two types of chord progressions, and um, the words are very, very lyrically simple right, and repetitive, but now, I mean, we have, like, like poetry that goes, like, it's like, you have to be Whitney Houston to sing worship these days, and, <laughs> and we, you know, most of us don't have that capacity, which is part of yeah. the reason why people are just standing there staring at the stage when, you know, worship leaders are leading worship, because the lyrics are complicated, the chords, you know, most people can't hit the notes, high or low, so I think songwriting has actually become much more difficult, because, we're looking at talent instead of, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying like these people that are writing songs, I'm not saying they don't have the right heart. Cause I know plenty of them do, but I think it's just a mishmash of mixing, you know, pursuing Jesus with your songwriting, but also if you're technically proficient, you might be too much, right.
1: <laughs> For right.
0: An average me or you yeah. to keep keep up with some of these songs. And I think that's part of the problem, but it's, it's a complex problem, you know?
2: Well, I, I know the whole industry is, is, it, 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 it really, it took me by surprise when we entered it into that industry and, and looked at that and, you know, Bethel was really great. They coached us a lot and did a lot of things for us. And, and one thing I thought was interesting is a lot of people wanted to help. Which I thought yeah. was really was was genuinely nice. They're genuinely being Jesus to us because we you know we we were walking around like you know Mr. Magoo. We didn't know what was going on. So and 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 you held our hand nicely, and I I just love that. So if you've got some, if like all right, so you've done so many things. You you really work with a lot of churches. I'm sure you still do, and and with yeah. with talent. And uh, so, but you've also written some a major books, and I think uh, Baker Books just published one for you. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So I had the the Christian Entrepreneur Dream, Plan, Execute and Grow um, was released in February. Perfect timing, right? When COVID yeah. hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. Right. <laughs> so that
0: was a, oh man, I was so excited. And I just, I felt, you know, what I really wanted to do is give entrepreneurs some really, really tangible tools to execute on. Because, you know, I mean, you're you've, you've built significant things, right? You're a business guy, you understand the top to bottom.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: know you and I would agree that most people lack some very, very fundamental skills, and very fundamental knowledge. And a lot of times they stumble into success. A lot of times they just get promoted, you know, if they're in an organization, they just kind of get promoted towards success. Um, some people, you know, there's a lot of people that start businesses that they understand their core product or their core service, but nothing around it. They don't know how to market. They don't know how to sell. They don't know how to, you know, customer service or any of that. So I really felt like God put on my heart. You know, I've been in the trenches for decades. I felt like God said, show these entrepreneurs what the fundamentals are, wherever Mm -hmm. they are. If they, they haven't even launched yet, if they're still dreaming, how do they know if it's a good dream? How do they know how to vet their dream? And no one's teaching that. No one's talking about, is your idea a good one until it's too late, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to write on that. And I kind of went through the the different stages of, right, you're dreaming it. You know, let's make sure your dream's tight, ready to go to planning it. And then, you know, so we don't skip from dream to execution, right? So (laughs) how do we plan it? What should we have like a 50-page business plan? Or, you know, do we bring in the experts? Or, you know, what do we do? So I kind of went through all those things. And I really felt like God just spoke to me and said, this is the book I want you to write. And so I wrote it, you know?
2: Wow. That's awesome. And so, uh, how do they find your book if they want to get, if, if our listeners want to buy your book?
0: Yeah. Amazon's the easiest. I mean, especially these days, if you're an audible person, you go on audible and either search my name if the, if you don't remember the title. Um, but I have a few books up there, but that the Christian entrepreneur, Amazon or audible would be your easiest way
2: to, to access it. That's awesome. All right. So my question is in that, in that, uh, aspect of writing this book, what would you say, if you if you know, what would be the number one mistakes that most Christian entrepreneurs make?
0: <laughs> I've thought a lot about that. One. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, as, as many answers as I would love to give. I think the one answer is just simply this they Christianify everything, <laughs> they, whatever they, do, they say, either God's in it or God's not in it. They mm-hmm. basically religify it. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: and, and they, and they make a spiritual conversation out of one and I'm not, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying God's not in, you know, in the details of uh, your of accounting course. of, you know, your legal, all that. Um, my life is living proof that, that Jesus shows up in the legal world. Right. Yep. Um, but I think that what we do as Christians that are entrepreneurs, business owners is like, and you know this so well, right? It's like you see people and they say, I'm, I'm going to make this decision because I know God's going to bless me. And you look at it and you're like, that is the worst business decision of all <laughs> time, right? Yeah. It's, and, they, and they will just fight you because they say it's God. Now, if it's God, I'm 100% on board with it. But what I found time and time and time again is that it's not really God. It's their fear. It's their insecurity. It's their, you know, it's like a, a an easy playback. If um, you know, things don't work out, they could say, well, God, you know, close the door on it. And and mm-hmm. so that is the number one thing to me. Right. Right. Then and there with entrepreneurs is don't attribute Over- to God what is not God's.
2: Yeah. I, yeah. It, that's such good advice. And I think, you know, for me, you know, upper room was my first charismatic experience and so being in that deal I sometimes and and I hung out with other uh churches charismatic churches and I love the charismatics and I love the fire I love that but I also think sometimes there ha- tends to be an over spiritualization yes yeah. and so yeah. uh yeah that's good because you know what I usually coach entrepreneurs and look rocks are hard water's wet god made mm-hmm. both of those things okay So, you know, it's okay to operate in the natural in a logical format and then, you know, allow God to come in and work with that because he does, he did create this, he created gravity. He created physics. He This is all his universe that he created. So let's operate in that and use the tools that he allows us to operate and also bring the Holy Spirit into that operation. And I think that's when, that's when you can get lightning in a bottle sometimes. That's right. So. Yeah, that's really good. All right, so so you've got this this book. I I'm, I love the title. I think it's great. I think it's spot on for this time. And you're still representing churches. You represent artists. So what yeah. would you say to artists out there? Because I know I have a lot of worship leaders listening, uh, and they're trying to get out. You know they you know because I'm always amazed at the talent that's in the church. I truly am. Sure. The voices the voices are just amazing. As you know that you know we kind I kind of. with, with, and you guys did with Alyssa Smith, you know, she was in our Mm. community and, uh, you know, CF and I wouldn't even let her join the music group, you
1: know? And so
2: so here here she shows up at, uh, at upper room and she just, you know, loves Jesus and she just loves the worship and she's just little pretty girl that walks up there and she's got this voice, like, you know, it's like, Boom, it's, you know, and God, you know, blessed her in that. And she, you know, obviously Michael Smith saw a lot and did all that stuff. But what, what advice would you give a artist out there that's trying to break out, trying to get through the noise? I know it's got to be difficult, yeah.
0: you know. It, it is. Yeah, it's it feels impossible. So I think there's probably just a couple of things. Number one is never lose sight of why you're doing this and if it truly is for god and it truly is to bring worship and lead you know lead people in worship or write it you know maybe you're a songwriter only or maybe you're a performer only you know worship leader only or maybe you're both and i think most people tend to be a little bit of both right
1: um Mm -hmm.
0: i would say never forget why you're doing this and the second we forget it is when we start falling off track and we start to like oh man i loved it when you know um Dante did that worship song and it had that edge that I just want to follow. And so now all of a sudden, every time I write a song, it kind of sounds like his,
1: right. And
0: it's like, (laughs) I'm, I'm not following Jesus anymore. I'm following trends. And we've seen this. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I could go back in time to vineyard, you know, as vineyard exploded, every church in America, and really the world was trying to emulate vineyard worship. Mm -hmm. You look at Bethel, you look at upper room, there's, there's these little pockets of worship where, Everyone tries to emulate them, and I think part of what's interesting is if you really look at the worship music community over the last twenty two you know twenty years or more, what you'll find is the is the movements that have really exploded it's not that they were so different, but what was different is that they had their own little twang on their thing that God was doing they weren't yeah. emulating, they weren't mimicking somebody, they were capturing what God was doing in their movement, their local church, and I think most, if not all, of the worship movements that have really exploded have been local church, right? They're not, you know, it's, it's very rare to have, like, a church, you know, worship kind of thing be birthed out of, outside the church, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, granted, there are, I mean, we could look at, like, um, house fires, we could look at um, United Pursuit, and there's a lot, you know, long list of things that are, you know, worship that have really, like, burst it out from i would say outside the church walls but by and large um you know what we're seeing is like local church um expression and so when you know you ask this question what what can artists do or what can they avoid i I say number one keep focused on jesus number two keep focused on your local worship community and and build within that because i think so many are like god told me my songs are going to be sung all over the world in every tongue and every nation and I'll get these calls and people are like, I know you probably hear this a lot, but no, it's for real. I'm like, yeah, but every <laughs> single person that says it says, I know you've yeah, heard it a lot, right, and right. it's for real this time. And it's like my 10 millionth call with the exact same thing. And I'm yep. not saying God's not on it. What I'm saying is don't focus on Uganda yet. Focus on Good. McAllen, Texas, or yeah. you know, Portland, Oregon, or wherever right. you're at. Like focus there, build what God's doing there and let God take that wave out into the nations and the languages. Um, I think that's big right there. But I, one practical thing that is like maybe not spiritual <laughs> that is, I think, business is look at collaboration a lot more than we did historically. I think historically it was like, you know, you just write what God's, you capture what God's doing in you and your heart. But I really think there's a, there's a movement and a moment of collaboration right now. And I, I would also say, look for collaborations. Don't look at those as competition. Look at those as opportunities to kind of, um, you know, spread what God's doing in, into other streams and allow people to speak, you know, God to speak through other people into your stream, which historically the church has been very, very apprehensive about. Cause mm. it's like, we don't, we don't know your theology. So we kind of keep a lid on ours and we want our stuff going out, but we don't want anything coming in. But think about that logically. We want to sell you ours, but we won't take yours. If every church is thinking that we have a very insular way of, you know, so yeah, that's, I think that's the big advice I'd give for artists right now. I think
2: that's awesome. And listen, for you artists out there, wannabe artists, our artists, worship leaders, songwriters, listen to this man. This is, Mm -hmm. this is platinum nuggets he's handing you. And it's such good advice because he's been with all of them, you know, and, and so that's awesome, Brock. I love that. And I think, you know, sticking with the local, sticking with Jesus and, and just, you know, being in that and not emulating somebody else, you know, yeah. uh, that old comparison spirit creeps in pretty big time in that industry. I know. And, uh, yeah. it's, really difficult. All right. So with that, uh, I know you're out there on the circuit. You're out there speaking uh, for different organizations. You're sought after. Uh, you're a motivational speaker. You're you're truly a unique cat because being a, a, a leader, an author, a consultant, and an attorney, and a songwriter, and it's,
1: you're just a strange dude, bro. Well, that's what I
0: hear. But I love
2: it. I love it. And And you're so humble and you're so approachable. So so, do, do you still? I mean, are you still taking on clients? Uh, if somebody says, "Hey, man, I gotta have a, I gotta have a great attorney," and you know, the music industry or the, do, do you work operate in a secular world too? And do you do? And also, I, before I forget, I want to ask you about the movie business. I think you do some stuff also in that realm. Maybe if I'm correct. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I do. So part of my practice is entertainment. And so that's music, books, film, TV, and also like the online, you know, what we might call online stuff or new media, like YouTube, TikTok kind of thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So I I definitely work in that area. And as far as new clients, I I mean, I'm always open to it. It's not like I've ever shut my practice off to new business. But I've always looked at really where I'm trying to lean into is where God's, you know, leaning me into. And Mm -hmm. so it's, I, I remember the first time I had a client, This I don't know, it was 15 years ago or something. They said, you're, you're a Renaissance man. And I didn't do too hot in, in uh, <laughs> history class. So I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> so, I looked it up and it just, you know, it's basically like kind of a, a man of the arts, I guess, uh, you know, just doing different things and kind of trying to excel it at, at not just, and and it's not, you know, this too, because you're good at a lot of things too, Michael. You're right. You know that. Mm-hmm.
1: You're so kind. You're Thank not, you.
0: well it's the truth and you're not a jack of all trades either right but you you don't have to i don't think life was ever meant to be and i don't think god gave us a destiny of being an ace at one Mm. i don't i don't think we can necessarily be an ace at 20 right? right maybe we can i don't know but um you know there's a concept i remember reading about i think they're called polymath if i'm not mistaken but it's you know person that's like uh, they have two different disciplines that they're basically expert level, like world-class expert level and that are unrelated, like a basketball, uh, you know, an NBA, like Michael Jordan and Bill Gates as one person, you right? Know I mean, like, like, wait a second. what? How does that happen? Yeah. But there are people out there that, that actually have that capacity they have that bandwidth. And I think for me, I've just, I've been less about, oh, I want to be that. I'm not pursuing it. I just say, God, where are you breathing on? Like, what are you breathing on? Where are you leaning? Cause that's what I want to go after. So, you know, you mentioned songwriting a handful of times in, I wrote the most of the songs I wrote were in the nineties and I've written a couple, you know, over the years, I wrote one, you know, probably just a couple of months ago that, you know, just me and my family will hear cause it's God, it's, it's just me and God, but I've write, I write more books and articles now mm. and I've written screenplays. Like I've written like seven feature length screenplays and I've written multiple novels and I just, I love to write. And I love so, that. It's it's fun, right? It's an expression. It's a creative expression. I love to create and I love to help. So for me, instead of it being like, because a lot of people challenge me like, hey, Brock, you know, sooner or later, you burn the candle at both ends. I'm like, <laughs> actually, I'm not. Like, I'm, my well is Jesus. Like, I'm drinking from that well all day long. And it's, Preach it, says, it brother. I love it. Right? You can write and you can help people and you can fill a creative outlet all in one thing at the same time. <laughs> and I'm like, Hallelujah, I'm in. So good. Right?
1: that's so, so good.
0: I think that's and I, and I honestly think that's advice for some people that are struggling with that burning the candle at both ends because I never am. I never feel that way. I feel like I'm constantly refreshed, and don't get me wrong, like I'm a hard worker, so I get exhausted, but I'm never afraid to put on my overalls and take out the shovel and start digging like i'm let's let's do it, right.
2: Yeah. So, you, yeah, and I love that about you, Brock, because you're 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 up for a challenge. I've been watching you. I've been following you on your Instagram and your Facebook and, and your website. And you've you you've come up with some really cool things. I know you hold these classes, and you're you're helping people and and doing that. So, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or track you down, what's the best way for them to contact you, Brock?
0: Yeah. So, I think i I put that together as kind of a hub for me. You know, my legal stuff, my consulting stuff, my writing, my speaking, you know, all that. I think it's the easiest way. If you really want to get inside my head, start at com and just kind of fish around.
2: Okay, that's cool. <laughs> you know, that's and so it's easy. I want everybody to get the spelling is dot com. Yeah. So go check it out. You're going to be amazed by this man's uh, website. And he's not your typical attorney. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but he's brilliant in this stuff because I've, I've had, I've turned family members on to Brock and he's taken mm-hmm. such good care of people and, and, uh, and yeah. So uh, Brock, I, I just want to say thank you for taking the time out of your crazy, busy schedule out there in California. Uh, uh and, and so thank you. And I appreciate it. I, I tell me, I, I know you've been married a while and I saw your pictures. You guys were at the Ritz Carlton, Laguna and the gal recently, <laughs> which I love that property. I was like, Oh man, I had it itching to get out there right away. Uh, tell me how many, how many children do you have?
0: So, well, let me, let me clarify. Cause I did get some pushback on that. We were married at the Ritz-Carlton um, 22 years ago. We did not go back this weekend. but our, <laughs>
1: Oh, our, man. <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: I know. I've, you know, it's so funny. You're social media. Like, be wherever you want to be. So I'll post a picture of me eating, yeah. you know, like a shaved ice and say I'm in the Alps. And people are like, how did you do that? I'm like, come <laughs> on. That's we right. You know, so we That's didn't all. go to the Ritz. But 22 years, married. Um, Almost 30 years together, or no, over 30. Yeah, something like 30 years together. uh, Two kids, and um, yeah, we live in Orange County, California, and we're kind of high school sweethearts, my wife and I, and just uh, trying to make life and serve God together. You're amazing,
2: Brock. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for taking your time out. And uh, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to hear your wisdom and hear your wit. And, uh, and and you just have, you have a a potpourri of of exceptional things that you do in life, which makes you so very interesting. So uh, any final words of wisdom you want to leave our audience?
0: You know, McIntyre, I, I think this is my words of wisdom to be thankful. You know, one of the things, this is funny, because I look at you and I think that guy always has a smile on his face. and <laughs> always says, thank you, Jesus. Like every time I, I hear you, right. if I hear your voice, I hear you saying, thank you, Jesus. Awesome. And I love that about you from the day I met you. because, And, that, and it was ironically, my advice is the, something that you live every day, as far as I can see. And that is thanking Jesus, because mm-hmm. all this stuff that we go through, you know, COVID or not, like the world is hurting, right? Yeah. We're going through a big mess right now, and it may not get better. It may seem like it's better, but it may not get better for a while. Right. And there are always going to be struggles, even if it does, and everything rebounds. And this was all just a bad dream. It's, you know, a few months from now, we're like, gone. <laughs> but regardless, I think thanking Jesus and just looking at him and saying, God, you're my source you're the only reason I've gotten through this. You're the only reason I'm going to get through this. I thank you, God. I think that is the advice I would give is what I see in your face, every, Mm. your voice, every time I hear you. Thank you, Jesus.
2: Come on. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Come on. (laughs) Brock. It's been an absolute delight to have you on the Next Level podcast. So we thank you. We look for your book coming out. We need to order that Christian entrepreneur book and uh, go to your go to Brock's website and check him out because he is one amazing cat under Jesus. And I love that. So thank you so much, Brock. Have a great day, brother. Thank
0: you, too. I'll talk to you.
2: Hey, friends, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and share our podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all other platforms where great podcasts are found. Thank you. Thank you for checking out the Next Level Podcast. For more information or additional resources, please visit themichaelmcintyre.com.